Brothers and sisters of the barbecue world, Cowboy Kev here welcoming you to another episode of Man Meat Barbecue with your host, Mikey K. Man Meat Barbecue is proudly sponsored by Fire and Smoke Barbecue. If you're looking for a new seasoning, head over to fireandsmokebbq.com. We ship nationwide or pick up a catering menu for those of you in the Chicago area. Also brought to you by Myron Mixon Smokers. If you're a caterer competition or just a backyard cooker, we have the smoker for you. Go check them out at MyronMixonSmokers.com. And now, here is your host, Mikey K. What's up, guys? So we are hanging out with Michael Chernow. Um, if you don't know who he is, go to go to Instagram, type it all one uh, type all one word in. It'll it'll pop up. Um, he's got he's a co-founder of a couple different things that I'm sure we're gonna get uh, sure we're gonna dive deep into. But um, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show, hanging out with us. Uh, I want to you know tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm 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 fired up to be here. Um, I am a New York City born and raised guy. Been working in restaurants my whole life. Uh, in 2009, I partnered up with my childhood best friend Dan Holzman to open up a restaurant called the Meatball Shop in New York. Uh, we opened up in February of 2010, and we opened up a bunch of those restaurants. There's six of them now. Uh, and then I founded another restaurant concept called Seymour's, which is a sustainable seafood concept also in New York. Uh, and there's six of those. Uh, but as we all know right now with COVID, it has not been the easiest go for restaurants all over the country. Uh, So we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're, uh, doing our very best out there, but I'm, I'm, I'm just a restaurant guy that, uh, has always sort of hustled and had a passion for, have a passion for people and the human connection and communication and Feeding making people. people happy and, of, co- of course, food. So now <laughs> what, big, made you guys, me. what made you guys open up the meatball shop? Like when you guys were kind of thinking about it, you were like, okay, let's, let's do this kind of cool, cool concept. What made, you, what made you say, let's do meatballs? Well, I think the first answer to that is uh, everybody loves meatballs for the most part. And if you don't eat meat, well, we've got vegetarian balls for you. You know, I think they're nostalgic. They're familiar. There's lots of comfort in a bowl of meatballs and spaghetti. And versatile. the cool thing about – what was that? I said they're super versatile. You can do a lot with them. Totally. And, and, there's, and you can make meatballs out of anything. You know, I mean – all you need is some sort of protein uh, or some or, or a vegetable and uh, a binder, and you can roll a meatball out of pretty much anything. So we, we knew that we would just have an enormous amount of opportunity with creativity. And, you know, I think New York at the time was in a place where focused food like pizza, you know, uh, uh, ramen, it was it, really it was a time in New York. And still is a time in New York, but but then it was really sort of at the forefront of this. What's your favorite pizza place? What's your favorite bagel? What's your favorite sushi spot? What's your favorite sub spot? Mm-hmm. And so you know when we were thinking about what to do, um, there was no real meatball place, and we wanted to be the first ones. 
Hey, dude, I mean, that's that's fantastic. Um, I always applaud people for being, like, kind of the um, front runners, right? People that, that want to, that are going to venture out and do something. And I think it takes takes a lot of courage and a, and a lot of, uh, sometimes I, I like to call it stupidity because, <laughs> you know, we go out and do it. Um, yeah. and, and it's like, man, how'd you have the guts to do that? And it's like, well, you know what? I was just kind of dumb and did it. Uh, and I think, I think takes you need a lot that. of balls, man. Yeah. It's a lot of balls. You, you need that, right? You need those, you need those, uh, those moments of being like, Hey, you know what? We can fucking do this and let's do it. Um, cause a lot of places wouldn't exist if you didn't have a chef that was like, no, we can put this on a menu. hundred percent. You know, and, and that, that's the hard part is getting out of that, out of that little comfort zone. Like you said, you know, New York was in a, in a, in a, what's your favorite sushi place? What's your favorite ramen place? And those are all great things, but it's like, do you need another ramen restaurant, you know, down the street from all the other ones? No. Yep. So <laughs> it's cool that you guys kind of branched out. And did meatballs. Now, when you guys were putting together that menu, did you guys like kind of have an idea of what you wanted to do, or was it a lot of experimenting? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you really how this story went was I worked at an Italian restaurant for a very long time, for about eight and a half years. It really happened in Italian spot in the East Village in New York City. Okay. And there was a dish on the menu called the rigatoni al ragu. It was a rigatoni pasta dish with meatballs and sausage and the best tomato sauce you've ever had. And for family meal, I would always have a bowl of meatballs and sausage, sans the rigatoni, with like a side of broccoli, a side of spinach. And, you know, potentially one other side. And so I was doing it for a long time. I just didn't know that that was going to be what the meatball shop was. But when we were, you know, Daniel and I were sort of banging our heads against the wall trying to figure out what we wanted to do. We knew that we wanted to have a restaurant together. We knew that we wanted it to be accessible and fun and, uh, you know, and, and totally uh, easy to understand and simple. Um, and one day we were walking up second Avenue and there was a huge line of people. This is late night, probably at one or two o'clock in the morning after I'd gotten out of work and we were walking up second Avenue and we looked over to this place called Palm Frites and it's just this tiny little hole in the wall on second Avenue between six and seventh street that all they served was, was French fries and, and different kinds of sauces. And it was just, it was always a line late night and it just Simple. sparked this thought that you know maybe we can we can do meatballs and so i said to dan hey what do you think about meatballs like you know kind of like what i have for my family meal every night and he was like holy shit it's a good idea and so we started you know having dinners with all of our friends on sunday nights at my apartment in brooklyn daniel and i would cook meatballs all day and sides all day and we'd invite a bunch of people over and uh and have these big meatball dinners and so yeah we experimented like crazy we, we were making all different kinds of meatballs, all different variations of, you know, the same protein meatballs with different sort of uh, different fillers. And, you know, we, we ultimately were able to narrow down our menu. Um, but the cool thing about the meatball shop is that, you know, we probably have over 65 different meatball recipes. And the cool thing about the meatball shop is that always on the menu, you're going to find beef, pork, chicken, uh, and vegetarian meatballs. Um, and, 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 you know, a, a static group of sauces, 
but we always have at least one or two special meatballs of the day. And so we just have a lot of fun, man. We, you know, we were bringing in, you know, year one, we were dragging in whole lamb and, you know, breaking down lamb and making meatballs out of whole lamb. And we were ordering all sorts of, you know, we were adding half cows and just all sorts of, we were, we were making meatballs out of pretty much everything. And it was just an enormous amount of fun. We got an enormous amount of attention for it. And it's become a bit of an iconic restaurant in New York City. So you said you guys have six of them. Um, which one was the hardest to open? Which one was the Was it number to... one? Was it, like, was it number one because it was your first runaround with it? Or was there one that was like the problem, you know, like the, the redheaded stepchild that like had, was the problem child? Well, I'll tell you, you know, we we attempted to take the meatball shop out of New York. And this is after I had already stepped down from my leadership position there, because in 2014, I had made a call that I wanted to get creative again and open up a new concept. So in order to do that, I had to sort of sell my equity, to the majority of my equity to my partners and, okay. and just pass, pass the baton over to Dan. But a few years ago, we tried to open up a meatball shop in, in Washington, D.C., and though I wasn't leading the ship there, I was certainly still on the board and still an active member of the business at large. Okay. We tried to open up a restaurant in Washington, D.C., and it was a complete disaster. Um, that restaurant, we, we kept open for a little under a year until we decided that it just wasn't going to work out for us there. But uh, that was really tough, man. The, the cards were not in our favor. It was all sorts of construction issues. It was just a disaster. It was a nightmare, and it was really, really hard to to get that store open. And then once we got it open, it just felt like the cards were against us. And so I would say that was probably the hardest. Although the first restaurant, Daniel and I were so gung-ho. I mean, we didn't hire anybody. We didn't hire a contractor. We didn't hire uh, any any construction guys. Daniel and I put every nail in the wood, You know, laid every tile, I mean, we did everything, did, and yeah. so we worked, but we turned it around in three months. So we bought an existing restaurant, we stripped it down, and we rebuilt the meatball shop in there. We probably worked 20 hours a day for the first uh, 12 months without taking a day off, and then the, the next six months, we decided that we weren't going to put in those crazy, crazy hours just because we were both, like, falling apart. So we still work seven days a week, but, you know, we, we work probably 12 or 13 hours a day uh, each, you know, and uh, it was yeah. it was grueling, but it was also one of the most incredible times of my life. It's also super rewarding, I'm sure, when you, when you start seeing something grow, right? When you see oh, yeah. one restaurant turn into two restaurants, two restaurants turn into three, and so on, and especially in New York City. I mean, your, A, your rents are so high there. You guys are really there's a lot of uphill battles on it 100 you know um and we get this we don't get exact same stuff in chicago but rents are high in chicago you know what i mean and they're starting to become worse and worse and food's getting more and more um what's the word i'm looking it, it's a very aggressive town for food you know if you're not doing if you're not being at your best every day Man, dude, the, the city will shut you down. You know what I mean? And I don't mean like the health inspectors and that. I mean like the people. They'll just stop coming. You know? Yeah. And if they stop coming, man, there's no turning back from it's that true. almost. Yep. So now when you – then you decided to move to the – was the seafood restaurant next? 
Yeah, so the seafood restaurant I, I, I opened up in 2015, um, and that was because I'm a fisherman uh, at heart. I've, I've been fishing since I was a kid. It's, I'm passionate about fishing, um, and uh, when I was thinking about opening up a seafood restaurant, I really just wanted to have the best fish tacos in New York because I was sick and tired <laughs> of hearing people tell me, you got to go to California for fish tacos or you know Southern Texas or Arizona. I was like, look, man, we are surrounded by water. This is a goddamn island. I grew up fishing. There's plenty of fish. I can make amazing fish tacos here in New York. And so I started doing some digging, and I really wanted to put a highlight on on the local fish because they just don't get any love. And what I found out about all the local fish, for the most part, is that they're all underutilized, totally abundant, and sustainable. And so that just made the whole entire concept even more special and unique because it's a fully sustainable seafood restaurant. We're, you know, a leader in sustainability and that's because we're just using our, our fucking head and, and, and using, you know, the closest to home ingredients. Uh, and so it worked out really well and I opened up that restaurant and, uh, similarly to the meatball shop, I raised money very quickly after the first one and opened up five more of those. See, like it, it, it's one of those things. Like being in the Midwest, um, it's it's a very difficult thing when people say like, "Oh, we're we're a sustainable seafood restaurant." Well, it's, it's very difficult here to be that, especially for most of these people. They are flying most of that shit in. You know what I mean? Well, there's a great sustainable sushi spot in the West Loop. I think I forgot the name of it. Um, but are I you talking about um, Sushi Pink? I don't remember. I forgot the name of it, but it was it was pretty darn good, and it was because sushi pink's pretty good, and they're 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 definitely sustainable. And I'm not saying they can't be. I'm just saying it's more difficult when you're flying shit in every day. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean. And and when I say sustainable, it's like now with all the stuff that's happening in in the world, man. Those that you know the budget of flying stuff in has gone. That that all changed. That that's like totally. What my next question was going to be to you is, how are the restaurants doing? What have you guys done differently to sustain the restaurants over the last few months? Well, we, you know, immediately we hopped on a call. So Meatball Shop had a board call. Seymour's had a board call. Uh, and Meatball Shop does a pretty fair amount of business and takeout and delivery in, okay. in normal life. And so we made a call very quickly to shut the restaurants, of course, because we were mandated to shut the restaurants for dine-in. Of course, But we yes. were going to beef up our delivery and takeout business. And that's what we did. Um, we, you know, we had to, we had to let go a shit ton of people, unfortunately, but we did keep on a few players um, that were pre- predominantly salaried that could handle takeout and delivery per, for each restaurant. And, you know, knock on wood, Meatball Shop has been doing pretty, pretty well uh, throughout the COVID because people are sort of leaning on food that they love and they know and they're, com- and they're comfortable with. And so that's the Meatball Shop for, you know, a lot of people in New York City. Seymour's, on the other hand, we got on a call and made a very quick decision to shut the restaurants and try to weather the storm because, you know, people aren't really banging down the doors or calling for delivery seafood um you know regularly it's, it's i mean it's definitely more doesn't of a dining exactly experience deliver that well. travel well you know right. you know what i mean i'm not saying it in a bad way but it's it, it it just doesn't 
You know, it's nope. the same thing that I think a lot of steakhouses tried to figure out too immediately is how do we how do we sustain this right now because steak tends not to travel well. You yeah, especially I mean? if you want a medium rare steak. <laughs> exactly. By the you know time I mean? it gets to you, it's medium well, there's no doubt. And there's no way around it. Because if you want to keep that thing semi warm, it it's gonna it's gonna keep cooking. Yep. Yeah, you're right. So I think a lot of restaurants that were I don't want to say higher end, but in a sense, higher end restaurants like your steakhouses, your seafood restaurants, they were almost in a in a worse storm than other restaurants like like the meatball shop, you know what I mean? People, that's something that travels very well that people can um, not only order a little bit more of and have for leftovers, but know that when they get it, it's still going to be that kind of experience that they want to have. 100%. And it's worth paying for, right? Yep. Well, luckily, you know, we have... Uh the majority of all the restaurants are open now for outdoor dining awesome. um, and Seymour's opened up about a month ago. We're doing pretty much the whole menu now, uh, but we launched with lobster rolls and margaritas, which was a hit because people were just stoked to get out and get some fresh seafood. And so we, we had this lobster roll operation going that really kicked ass and slowly we started rolling out the rest of the menu and, uh, you know, we're hoping that, you know, New York is doing pretty well uh, in regards to the virus. So mm-hmm. we're hoping that we'll, we'll be able to, in the, in the fall, get back to business, you know, uh, across the board. Now, do you think that New York will open as a whole that soon? I think New York has a greater chance of opening um, restaurants and, you know, I think pro- most likely I, I, I would imagine that the government's going to try to see, you know, before flu season, keep everything sort of like kind of as it is right now and then get let it get a little chillier and see what happens is what I'm imagining that could be wrong. But, you know, so far, it's obviously been pretty scattered. The PPP loans have been um you know a work in progress and a moving target uh i think Pretty much, you yeah. know, when when these when these loans were written everybody thought that we would be back in action in june and you know now we're in a worse place than we were when this thing started so you know i think i think the government you know went out of their way to start printing all this money and and administering all this cash uh they're not going in my opinion i'm hoping that they're not going to you know make all these loans uh regular loans if you don't follow you know if you don't hit the hit the guidelines um because the guidelines are impossible for restaurants to hit if they cannot open very true yeah i'm imagining you know, that we'll, we'll have some, some, uh, some, you know, a little bit of, uh, uh of ability to, to access the, this cash and use it the way it was supposed to be used. Um, well, I find everybody's it, sort of just, chamber. I find it really interesting that they want you to keep your certain payroll, but it's like, well, the problem is there's nothing for these people to do if I don't open. Right. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day. You can't pay people just to sit there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, there's no doubt. And so, 
you know, hopefully that, that they'll they will extend the, uh, the 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 deadline for for using the certain amount of funds on payroll in order to make the loan forgivable. And I think they will. I, I have I'm an optimistic guy, so I tend to believe that, that you know, everybody's going to do the right thing. And, yeah, doesn't always happen, but uh, let's uh, let's hope in these cases. Um, a lot of my friends are, you know, we're we're all a little worried that if if it does get shut down again, um, whether or not we're going to be able to weather that storm. You know, uh, yeah, I I own a catering company and a a company that does pop ups, so we we kind of um, we very much rely on other businesses. You know what I mean? We rely on breweries and stuff like that because that's where we pop up in and we do a, a majority of our business there. But we rely on those businesses being able to stay afloat, obviously, and stay open. And with everything yep. that's happened with COVID and everything, it's like, man, we can't go in there. And now, now, yes, they are starting to open and people are like, oh, they're starting to open. Are you guys running in or whatever? It's like, yes, they're starting to open. But the problem is a lot of these places are opening at 50% capacity and and you're not always getting that 50% in um you know you have your 50% tables and and then what happens when a, you know it's a four top table but two sit at it and and you have 10 tables that are like that and you have 10 10 four tops so you're thinking you're going to have 40 people but you're having you have, you get two tops that come in right so now you're running at 25% and what, you can't tell these people, hey, can you go sit with them so we can make it a four top? You know what I mean? So we can almost kind of yeah, you know, do as much as possible. It's just insane. And all these restaurants that are just trying to stay afloat, um, they're, they're, you know, there's some people that are struggling. And I know, I know I have friends in New York and I've talked to them and they say some of their restaurants are struggling and they're worried. You know, they're worried if, if you're, because New York's getting better, but if the virus does get worse, are they going to be able to weather that? Well, I, I don't think there's anybody that's not struggling. I think every single person in the world is struggling, and I think anybody in the restaurant industry specifically is struggling. Yeah. And it's going to be a while until, you know, things get back to normal, if they ever get back to normal the way we know normal, right? Like, you take you know, millions of people and you say you cannot eat at restaurants anymore. You have to learn to fend for yourself. You have to start cooking food or just ordering takeout. You know, people get accustomed to that shit. And, you know, hopefully, you know, people, I believe that human beings crave experience. I believe that. I believe yeah. people like to pay for experience more than products. I really do in my heart believe that. That's why I'm in the business. That's what I'm passionate about creating experiences and making memories and i know that we'll get back there i just don't know if it's going to be exactly the way it was and you know i would i would just say anybody in the industry looking to create a new brand or a new concept or whatever just make sure that you're accounting for delivery being a big piece of your business because that you know you know your menu better have options that will travel well um, yeah, because I do believe people are going to be eating at home a lot more uh, now, until you, at least we have a, a vaccination. How did you guys, um, so I have a couple friends that, uh, their, their model is still pretty much a lot of takeout and they say that 
they are getting hit a little harder now that rest restaurants have started to open in the Chicagoland area. Um, they said that their takeout is really starting to go down because people just want to get out. Do you, do you yeah. feel like that's going to change in like a month or so where people will kind of go back to then kind of fall back into taking takeout again? You know, I mean, like we're, we're hoping that there is a vaccine, you know, by the end of the year, like they're kind of claiming there will be, because if that's the case, then I think luckily with the loans that we have and, and the cash reserves that we've been able to be very, very, very careful with, we'll be able to weather the storm. Um, if in the wintertime, this thing roars back, like some, you know, speculators are saying, then I think there's a lot more that we got to be worried about. You know, I, I know for sure some of my favorite restaurants in New York have shut down for good. Just it's done. They're over. They're done. They, It's public knowledge. They've shut down. And uh, <clears throat> it's really sad. You know, it's really fucking sad that that uh, that that people have just said, you know what, this isn't going to work. You can't make this work. It, you know, I think some of it. You know, some of my favorite, uh, there's a couple, like, iconic places in Chicago that have shut down, which sucks. Um, and some of some of my favorite places have shut down, too. And they're not reopening. And I know a couple of them, they, they were older restaurants. They'd been open for years. And, you know, the owners were a little bit older. And they were like, you know what? We just don't want to do it anymore. You know what I mean? They just don't want to, they're done with the struggle in the sense of, or going through this struggle, you know what I mean? They don't want to battle this battle, so they they you know they got rid of it. And I think there can be some restaurants that are probably doing the same thing. Well, I would say this: if there's ever a time to throw in the towel, <laughs> it's right it's now. Not, if it's not, yeah, if it's not working out, if you if you don't love the business and your business is struggling, it's been struggling before COVID. Well. This is the perfect excuse to uh, to throw it in. Yeah. So, what what advice would you give to somebody trying to start a restaurant since you've started so many? Well, it's probably different advice now. Uh, I guess, than, yeah, yeah. Than I would give, you know, to anybody starting trying to start a restaurant in general. I would for anybody look. I mean, I was you know weeks away from signing a lease on a new concept in New York. And COVID hit. And the whole entire plan, I, I just had to essentially put on the back burner. I wouldn't recommend anybody opening up a new restaurant until at least spring 2021. Just to just to wait and see what happens. Um, you know, I think that it just makes sense. Now, you know, if you're in like a suburban area um, where you can buy a piece of land, you know, and potentially right now might be a great opportunity to buy a piece of land yep. um, that has an existing restaurant on it or something like that. Um, you know, that's that's actually a pretty cool option. And that's what I'm sort of, sort of exploring is opening up a restaurant outside of New York City and owning the land and not having to deal with landlords that want to rake me over the coals for rent. Um you know, and so that's sort of something that I'm exploring myself right now. 
But anybody trying to open up a new restaurant concept, specifically in a metro area, just make sure that that concept is ready and and prepared for delivery, heavy delivery and heavy takeout. Um, because I think, you know, food that travels well is something that is going to be in high demand for at least the next year. Because even if we get a vaccine and, you know, restaurants are opened up again, people are still going to be reluctant to go out, you know. Yeah. It's going to be a good, it's going to be a good, I, I, I'm saying, I think that it's probably going to be until at least spring, summer, 2021. So a year from now until restaurants are starting to feel normal again. Totally feel normal. I could see that. That's my thought. I could definitely see that. Um, just from talking to all my friends and, and, you know, seeing what's going on in the industry, uh, seeing what's happening to us. Uh, we're slowly starting to get back in our, our our catering business is slowly starting to come back up, um, but it's still it's still not what it used to be. You know what I mean? Parties we're we're not getting parties of you know large parties. We're getting parties of twenty five. You know what I mean? We're getting you know small parties, which I'm grateful for. Don't get me wrong. Please don't don't take it in the in the wrong way of complaining. It, it's just it'd be great to not be doing twenty five people parties. It's great to do like. 150 people parties, you know what I mean? And hopefully hopefully that'll come back next year. And that's the only thing we can hope for, right? That's it. And it, it's going to, it will, I mean, I think it will. I think it will happen. Um, now, are you guys thinking of opening, are you guys ever thinking of taking the meatball, meatball shop out of New York again? Or did that one kind of, one kind of crazy trip kind of kill it all? Well, we tried to pop like a pop up experience in uh, in Connecticut, which is another suburb of New York. Yep. Uh, and it was all right. You know, we, we knew that we were signing up for like a six month thing. It was a restaurant that was existing and we were given an opportunity to just go in there and open up. Um, and we weren't like super excited about it. So I think it's got to be the right place. I think Los Angeles probably would 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 appreciate a meatball shop. Um I think Chicago would be a great place for a meatball shop. Actually, I love the food in Chicago, um, so I feel like the people of Chicago would 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 be, you know, down for a meatball shop. I think there would um, definitely be down for just just off looking at the pictures and looking at everything. Uh, I can see that kind of concept really, really working in a lot of the neighborhoods, um, and really kind of taking off really, really well. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Chicago's definitely a target. It it, it look. It, I mean, I'd I'd go. You know, <laughs> you'd have at least one customer. <laughs> awesome. It all takes one, right? Um, I guess it starts with one. <laughs> that's it. Are you um? Are, are is, so? Is is your catering company like barbecue? Is that what you do? Yeah. So we're we are a barbecue company. We are um. So the the catering company is called Fire and Smoke Barbecue. Uh. We do strictly barbecue catering, uh, very, very traditional sides. Um, we we, we kind of do some fun stuff on our menu. Like we do a um, we do smoked meatballs on our menu, actually. We do um, smoked deviled eggs and stuff like that. So, so we do kind of play around with some stuff, but it, it's otherwise it's a very traditional barbecue place. And we've Let's been doing really well. For I'm really passionate about barbecue. I love barbecue. What uh, what made you start cooking barbecue? I just love the 
um, the sort of experimenting with barbecue. I feel like long, slow cooks for me are just so much fun. I mean, I have a big green egg and a Traeger at my house upstate where I live now. And uh, I've been doing barbecue on the green egg for a long time. It's a great cooker. I got my hands on Yeah, I think. I mean, I actually did a pork butt uh, on the 4th in the Traeger. And it, it came out really well. But the Traeger is um it's a pellet not really it's a pellet and it's and it's you know i you get a ton of smoke flavor is awesome but if you're not doing barbecue or roasting it's not a great grill as far as i'm concerned you're not getting a good sear on the trigger it doesn't get hot enough no it doesn't get hot enough at all and that that's that's because you have that plate underneath it right yeah so so it it'll never really get hot enough because you're not getting open flame and now with that big green egg, I mean, you can sear the shit out of stuff. I mean, I got to say right now, I, I anybody looking to have any sort of, forgetting barbecue, just grill experience, the big green egg is probably just about the best thing money can buy. I mean, it is such a cool, I mean, I've got an extra large green egg in my house. I yep. smoke turkeys every year for Thanksgiving. I do, you know you know, 12 pound pork butts. I do 15 pound briskets on it. I mean, I just, I crush it with this thing. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something about barbecue. There's something about cooking a big piece of meat for long periods of time for lots of people and letting it rest for a couple hours and then uncovering it. And everybody's just sort of salivating, waiting to see what it looks like inside. And And then you like, you know, you uncover, cover it. And then you take the bone out of the of the pork shoulder and it just fucking falls right out and everybody's like oh my god <laughs> yep you know it's just it's like it's incredible and it's also kind of just very primal in that sense yeah. of like it's like meat fire smoke i love it that's it there's nothing better to, you know i'm i'm working on a restaurant concept concept right now that's all wood fired okay. um and uh you know, barbecue is definitely going to be on the menu. It's not, I'm not opening up a barbecue restaurant because I'm certainly not trying to compete with, you know, the barbecue barbecue guys out there just because I'm not – I haven't been doing it my whole life. But I, I love it, and I do, I do a pretty epic pork shoulder, brisket, and pork ribs. That's the only three things I would do on as far as barbecue is concerned on the have menu. You, but have you tried doing beef ribs, like the big plate ribs? Yeah, yeah. Because those are those those literally are brisket on a stick to me. That's just oh, they are my favorite things well, ever. About where I live, so I live upstate now. I moved out of Brooklyn in about you know right when COVID hit. My wife and I and my kids decided that it would you know we have this house upstate and. We rented out our place in Brooklyn, and we live up here, and I'm surrounded by just incredible farmers that are doing, like, unbelievable things, and, you know, I always have a, you know, a chest freezer filled with half an animal of some sort, and, you know, up here, being able to showcase it, it's weird. I'm, like, a little over two hours out of the city. There's lots of people from the city that come up here on the weekends, and now a lot more people have just simply moved up here. But yeah. there's not a restaurant up here that's like that big barn style, nostalgic barbecue, homemade ice cream, just delicious burger place. And so that's what I'm working on. 
Okay. And now, let's dive into the burgers a little bit. When you're thinking burgers, are you thinking like just your basic, not, I don't want to say, I guess I don't want to make it sound simple, too simple, but like your just good American cheeseburger type burgers, or are you going to go a little bit crazy with kind of like, you know how like burgers kind of, they were the thing for a little bit. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to have a, a sort of like a, a flight of burgers. Okay. Um, so the entry-level burger is probably going to be 7 bucks. so it's not going to be expensive. It's going to probably be a four-ounce patty, grass-fed beef um, with some local cheese and pickles. And then it's going to sort of go from there all the way up to, you know, the works, you know, an $18 burger with, you know, Berkshire pork and, you know, all sorts of really delicious things in it. Um, a little bit different, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to have a really good time with, you know, because we have barbecue, like, I think having a burger with, you know, pulled pork or short ribs. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's just, but it's, just, it's, it's, it's incredibly gluttonous, but if you want to swing for the bleachers and have just a big fat burger, juicy, you know, monster burger, like we'll have it for you. There you and go. So, you know, I, I think because we're, I'm opening up, you know, this is, this would be a restaurant that I'm opening up in a, in a, in a community that have been here for a long time. There's lots of locals, lots of people that, you know, live up here and, and potentially don't make a ton of money and would walk into a place where they saw like a $15 burger on the menu and be like, you know, F this. So for me, being able to have just like a good old traditional, you know, four to five ounce patty, cheddar cheese, and some pickles, um, you know, on a great bun for eight bucks is is something that I'm excited about um, because, you know, I think everybody would get excited about that. And then, of course, there'll be, a, you know, there'll probably be three or four burgers on the menu. Um, three or four burgers, definitely brisket, pulled pork, and pork ribs, probably throw some beef ribs on there uh, as a special. Um, and, you know, and, and a bunch of, I'm, I'm working on this whole roasted vegetables menu. So instead of doing a bunch of veggie sides, um, we're going to just throw the whole vegetable in the hearth and uh, roast it whole. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do like whole roasted Romanesco, whole roasted cauliflower, whole roasted eggplant, whole roasted squash. And when you order your veggies, if it's a four top, you'll get a whole head of uh, cauliflower dropped on the table, you know? Okay. Um, and so I think that's a really fun way to do vegetables. It also takes a lot of the prep out of it. <laughs> it takes a ton of the prep out of it, which is a great idea. <laughs> coming yep. coming from knowing knowing prep and knowing all that shit, like when you were saying that, I'm like, this sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, think about it. And, and honestly, in my opinion, you know, like, roasting whole vegetables i mean i what really inspired me to do the whole vegetable thing was well my last boss before i opened the meatball shop was all about whole vegetables and so it was always like something that i i've, I've loved to do um but i ate at this restaurant in the city called pasquale jones uh right down the street from one of my restaurants and they have this pizza oven and they basically served a ribeye steak with a whole roasted onion that had been roasting on low heat in the side of their pizza oven. You know, they just put like yeah. 30 of these things in there for like 36 hours. And the onion 
was could have could have very well been the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. It lasted that long. It didn't dry out, dude. It, it like melted when it was on. It literally they put it on the they put it on the on the on the uh, on the plate and it literally like melted. It was unbelievable. It was the be- it was the, one of the coolest best things I've ever had. It was like purple because it was so caramelized and it was just so good, so damn good. That's very interesting to me that it lasted that know. long. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that's fantastic. And then obviously, you, are you guys going to be doing kind of some fun cuts of steak and stuff like that? If you're going to do a wood fire concept, I'm imagining you're going to have some kind of steak on the menu, correct? We're not going to have a static steak on the menu um, because the whole plan for the restaurant is to really try to work with, you know, either whole or half animal. Okay. And so we'll have steak specials um, always. But I feel like, you know, because the concept's going to be fully sustainable, um, for me, being able to buy like a quarter of an animal – um, and, you know, pulling the, pulling the, the shoulder out for, you know, pulled pork and then grinding the rest for pork sausage. And, you know, like I just, the way I see it is I want it to be fully sustainable. And if I'm always ordering just ribeye or if I'm always ordering just New York strip, I feel like I'm not utilizing the animal the way I'd like to. And so being able to really work with either whole or half animals at a time, is something that's really interesting to me. And um, that's trying to get, yeah. That's super cool because like like you said, when you're ordering either um ribeyes or you know, just New York strips or just fillets, what people don't understand is there's only so many of them on the animal, right? The cow doesn't just shit out, you know, four hundred ribeyes and then they're like, Cool, that's the whole cow. Yay. Um and I talk to a lot of farmers and I'm friends with a lot of farmers that do this. And, like, the hard thing for us, like, being a barbecue restaurant, you know, we'll get people that will ask, they're like, why don't you just buy half a cow? And I'm like, because there's only two briskets on the cow. <laughs> like, yeah. you, know, you know, I'm not trying to be an asshole, but you know what I mean? Like, there's only two fucking briskets on the cow. Right. And that's why burgers are going to be a big part of the concept because we'll – You we'll can do a lot of ground beef. We'll, we'll do a lot of ground beef. And we'll also, um, you know, <clears throat> when you think about – you know, when you think about pork, similarly, you know, like you'll have, you, you don't have a, there's, there's only one butt and one shoulder, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not, you're not getting a lot of cuts, a lot of pieces of that animal and that the hard are thing going is to like, work for barbecue. It like, so we do, we use a little bit more of the pig cause obviously we use, uh, we use the ribs, we use the butt and then we use the belly. So, um, mm-hmm. cause we make pork belly burn ends. So what we take is we take the belly, we cube it up, we season it, it goes into the smoker, um, it smokes for about two and a half hours, and lets lets some of that fat render out, and then we take that and then we put it into a pan and drizzle a little bit of barbecue sauce on top of it, it goes back into the smoker to caramelize and kind of just get nice and beautiful and sticky-icky kind of way, and then we, we serve those as pork belly burn ends. Um, which is kind of our take on, on a traditional burn end. Um, and people fucking love them, dude. People just, it, it is, it, it's been, it's been insane how many people want them. Uh, we, right. we kind of took them off our menu for pop-ups the last couple weeks. And I mean, people were coming up, they're like, where are your pork belly burn ends? When are they coming back? <laughs> and we're like, holy shit. Okay, cool. They're, we're, we're bringing them back. 
we'll bring him back. You know, and it wasn't it wasn't that we took him off because of anything besides the fact that like sourcing shit was kind of difficult. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I mean just, that's that's the whole thing, right? Like when you're only ordering sort of premium cuts of meat, you know, you're you're sort of assuming that every you know people are gonna. I mean, and they do, of course, but. I just, I just love the idea. I love the story of, of, of having great relationships with these smaller farmers yeah. and being utilized as much of the meat as possible without having, you know, to like have them hawk off the shit that you don't want. So you take the whole animal or you take half the animal and you utilize as much of it as you can. And then of course, you know, like you've got all these like unique cuts that you can, you can sort of make steaks like the Denver cut. And yep. I was about to say that. You know, yeah, there's like there's all sorts of things that you can do. But ultimately, I think, you know, the goal for me is to utilize the big pieces of, of that sort of, you know, difficult meat to, to, to cook with a, a la minute and, and, and slow cook all that stuff and really make it delicious. And the beauty of that is you 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 ultimately you know you're you render an enormous amount of you know a more enormous amount of portions with a pork shoulder right or a, or a whole mm-hmm. butt like you you really i mean if you you end up with a lot of a lot of a lot of meat and so you're able to get a lot out of that and serve a lot of people out of that um and so that's the idea you know grind as much as we can and and use the stuff that's super delicious and, you know, you end economically, you also are, you know, saving a lot of money by not just ordering the premium cuts or, or just ordering the shoulder, you know, or just ordering the brisket. You know, you, you use the ribs, you, like you said, you use the, the belly yeah. and you utilize as much as you can. And then the rest is ground and you make amazing sausage and meatballs and, and, and burger. Um, and, you know, it's just it, it, it hopefully it works out. When I close my eyes and I and I think of this restaurant, I see the whole entire thing, and it makes me feel like I'm starting over again, which is awesome because I, whenever I have a vision for a concept, I it, it you know and and there's lots of concepts that I've come up with over the years, but the ones that actually, like work are the ones that when I close my eyes I can see the whole thing. I literally like I'm standing inside the restaurant right now when I close my eyes. That's awesome. And so. It's, you know, it's one of those things I think creatively is entrepreneur, you know, you, you, you're given some sort of a gift to be able to envision, um, you know, a, a, an idea in real life and, and you just follow that vision and you get as close to it as possible or if not, you hit it exactly on the head and that's what authenticity is and, um, you know, it, for me, it, it's it's hard to escape. You know, like people have said to me, you know, I built two businesses uh, in the restaurant space that have both been successful. I've I've successfully exited from both of them, you know, retaining equity, but like have taken my day to day responsibilities out and have taken out equity. And, uh, you know, people have said, well, why would you, you know, do you want to go through the headache of opening up another restaurant? And my answer to them is, can't fucking help it, man. It haunts me. Like I, I come up with an idea and then all of a sudden I close my eyes and I see it and my creative juices start going and then that's it. I'm on to the next one. And, and um, you're trying to figure out how, how to, how to make that into a reality, how to, yeah, yeah no, I agree. I understand that 
110%. It's almost terrifying how much I understand that. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's scary. You know what I mean? It's scary, but it's awesome because it means you love it. And the other thing that me, that, that you really, you're good at it. You know what I mean? You're able to successfully give other people jobs. You're able to help provide other people to do things like that. That's one of the things that I think is so amazing about it. It's like, whenever I'm able to pay my employees, you know what I mean? It's like, not when I'm able to pay them. That sounds really bad. Like I don't pay them, but I do pay them. But it's like, when I, when I cut those checks, man, it's like, holy shit, I'm paying somebody else's rent. You know what I mean? I'm doing that. You know what I, It's like, it's our concept that is allowing other people to survive too. And I just think that's yep. amazing. And you're able to feed people during it. That That's one of my biggest things is I just love feeding people. So if it's something that'll work and I can feed people, man, I'm sign my ass up. Let's go. I'm with you. You know, let, let's go to work and let's do some stuff. Tell me, tell me the secret to the best bark. What's the bark secret? Um, I like putting my stuff on cold. Right. I like do you let your cold. do you let your meat sit in the fridge uncovered? Um, catering. Have you ever tried? No. At home, yes, I will. Got it. So commercially, no, just for obvious purposes. Um, and then uh, at home, I'm a little more lax because I know I'm eating it, so I know I can push my boundaries a little bit further. <laughs> But but wait a second, like, I mean, why would you be concerned about not, I guess, I mean, I guess Department of Health actually does want everything covered. Exactly. But when you think about like a meat locker, the meat's not covered. You know, like when it's sure. hanging there, never covered. And I, you know, I was lucky enough to take a tour. I had a TV show called Food Porn. And okay. uh, I went to you know restaurants all over the, all over the country and shot with the owners and the chefs and cooked in the kitchens and did all that fun stuff. And I was really lucky enough to, to, to explore Peter Luger's. Peter okay. Luger's has more meat rooms than I've ever seen in my entire life. Their operation is something I have never seen it, but their dry aging rooms are insane. Wild. Like, like, dude, I'm telling you, it's like an underground maze under that restaurant. And it is totally insane like the most it's like heaven i mean i love meat so for me it's you know i'm yeah, like to I'm me, that would, I, I would be in heaven i'd be with you it, it like dude i'm telling you like like whole rib roast the size of fucking you know football fields dude like just insane i couldn't even i couldn't even believe it and nothing was covered and so I always wonder, you know, because I just know that, like, when you keep meat uncovered, it dries out much better than you keep it covered. Of course, yes. And so I just, I wonder, like, I mean, I, I would imagine that that also helps aiding in a great bark. I've, you know, I, in my green egg, I, I'm, I'm always able to, like, nail the bark in the trigger. I struggle. And so I, I'm just. I think it's your fuel source. Okay. So with, with your Traeger, you're, you're burning up pellets that are very, very small. 
and they're not releasing as much. They're releasing energy, but they're not releasing the energy like a larger chunk of wood would release. It releases it over time versus a Traeger that's very quickly releasing it, right? Right. So that's why you're getting better bark, too. Do you ever put mustard? Do you ever lay down mustard? I don't, I don't do any binder, man. I don't. I, I take the meat when it's a little bit sticky and a little bit tacky. Uh, I put my I put my uh, seasoning down, and then it goes into the it, it goes into the cooler. It stays there for about another half an hour, and then it goes straight on to the cooker. The other thing is we're cooking in a commissary kitchen too, so that so we have a commissary cooler. Uh, so that's why I also like to uh, cover everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, get it. It, I might I might be able to do it a little bit more uh, once we get into our own kitchen uh, and it's just my my fridge and then I know I can control it a little bit more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you but you don't you don't let the rub sit on the meat for more than a half hour before you throw it into the smoker. No, I'd say a half an hour to an hour tops. So what I, I normally do is we get up. uh I'll get the smoker running at uh for like a pop up. Say our pop up call is uh five o'clock, right? Four 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 thirty five. Um, I will get I'll get the smoker running at about three in the morning, and I'll have meat on by four four fifteen. Yeah. So I'll start my smoker and then I go start prepping my meat. And are you always keeping that smoker at around two fifty? Uh, no, I cook a little hotter and faster. I cook at about 275, 300. Oh, wow. But I'm cooking on a water smoker. So I cook on a Myron Mixon H2O, which has a giant water pan underneath it. And then my firebox is right underneath that. So my, my smoke comes around the uh, around the um, water pan and through through my chamber. So my, my fire is constantly boiling my water, right? So there's a You've ton of moisture in my chamber, which yeah. is fantastic. Um, it works for two things. A, it keeps moisture, and it also helps keep temp. So like in the winter, if you need to check on something or if you need to pull something out really fast uh, and you close those doors back up, man, that water's already sitting at 212, so it's already putting putting that moisture and that heat back in the air. So your, your fire's right. not working as hard. Yeah, I, I, I've been playing around with the water pans as well on the green egg. Um, I don't think it's as effective as having like a full-on smoker situation, but um, Probably I actually not. did something really different uh, on on the 4th. I, I, I like to – I missed my meat typically. Um, once yeah. I feel like it's dry enough, I'll miss it. But what I did this time as an experiment – was I I let the I let the, the the pork cook till about a buck sixty, and then I pulled it and I wrapped it, but I poured about a cup and a half of apple cider inside the wrap, mm-hmm. as opposed to misting it, and 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 then I let it I let it roll that way until I hit two o four. Dude, that's a great way to do it. Dude, let me tell you, I mean I it. It, it it didn't I you know the the I didn't get that that crusty bark that I like I mean I had a bark it was a little it was a little moist for my taste but the meat was f- 
fire, dude. It was what like you can butt- do, dude. What you can do is if you temp it and you temp it like one ninety eight or whatever, take it out of the wrap and put it just back on the smoker. Like just leave it on the smoker, and it'll dry it'll, up. It'll that bark will that bark will dry up for you a little bit. That was that's a great that is great. I'm gonna do that because you can I do the same thing. With, I mean, you know, I do like, it with ribs. Where we'll, what we'll do is we'll wrap them, and then we'll take them out. We'll take them out of the wrap, and we'll just put them on the smoker just for like 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, just so it dries up and it gives you that nice dry, just gives you that nice dryness again. So it's not like do you hammer super it? sticky. Do you crank the heat? No, no. You just leave it. I just leave it, man, and it just it just gives you it just just finishes itself out. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Dude. I love I love talking barbecue, dude. I can talk barbecue forever because yeah. it's so much fun. I mean, my when I, when we first when I first got the green egg like seven, eight years ago, I mean, I got obsessed, obviously, as a guy that cooks a lot and you yeah. know, owns restaurants, spent a lot of time in kitchens. Um, you know, but not really obviously as we're in you know, I'm in the restaurant business, so I don't really get a lot of time to cook at home and on the weekends, you know. I, I cook for my family breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But when I got this egg, I just became obsessed. And I was like, you know, and, and dialing it in is not easy. I mean, it's definitely not a tool for, you know, the inexperienced person because you've got to really fuck with the flues constantly to keep the temp that you're looking for because it easily, go, you know, breaks temp. And uh, Finally, I've really learned how to use the thing, but man, I was planning my weekends around this green egg and just like nonstop. My wife hated me. I was just an animal. Dude, <laughs> dude, for my uh, for my egg, I've gotten to the point where I'm so like, I know my egg so well, I can literally turn it on and go to sleep. And then I come back yeah. and it'll sit at 225. Won't even move. Yeah. Love That's the, I think the hard part for me is that I have at my house, we have this patio. There's like an old building, right? Like there's like a, an old smokehouse. It's actually really cool. My, one of my dreams is to rebuild this smokehouse, but it's an old smokehouse from the 1700s. That's across the, across the patio from our, from the main house. But the problem is, is that it's kind of like a wind tunnel in there. That's and gonna be so, a problem. yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit of an issue because even if I turn the egg flue against, like, essentially against the wall, like facing yeah. the wall, I still get wind that blows. And so it's really hard to keep that to keep that temp low for cranking it. I get that egg up to like 900 degrees. I mean, I cook amazing pizza on that thing. Yeah. but. You know, the low and slow. So ultimately what I ended up doing was I, I got I got one of those DigiQs. Yeah. It just made my life so much easier. They're amazing, those things. They are. They'll, they'll hold temp, man. They they really will. And yeah. especially in your situation where you're getting where you're not trying to feed the fire, but it, it's feeding the fire for you, right? You know? Yeah, really. it's just too much. You know, it's just too much it's too much air that hits that hits those coals and um, you know, and so I've like toyed around with moving it on the other side of the house, but then it's not easily accessible. So I was just yep. like, F it. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try this DigiQ out and it, and it's really, it's amazing. And it's made, you know, it's made, the, it's made the, your the life easier. Egg. Yeah. But not as fun. <laughs> you know I get it. 
I get it. Yeah. I get it, man. I totally get it, man. Michael, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast, hanging out with us and chatting barbecue, chatting restaurants and all the crazy stuff that we're all going through, man. Um, if you, we kind of end the podcast in a very fun way. And I think this is going to be a really fun question for you. Um, I like to ask this question. If you could go back into your barbecue experience and if you want to use your cooking life too, that's fine. Uh, and give yourself three tips to help shorten your learning curve. What would those three tips be? Oh gosh, um, hmm, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess the first one would would be uh, there's no amount of time, there's no limit to the amount of time you can let a piece of meat rest. Period. <laughs> like. You know, from from my experience, you know, I've let shit rest for hours and Mm -hmm. and it's just incredible. And then I broke into it, you know, 45 minutes afterwards and knew I should have given it another 45. And so like I and that goes with that goes with steak that goes with 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 any sort of big piece of meat that, that I'm barbecuing. So that one thing is like account for rest time longer than you would imagine, like longer than you would typically account for. So if dinner's at five, make sure you're pulling that piece of meat at like two thirty three. So you can really let it rest and 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 not, you know not force it. Feel feel the urge to break into it. Um what else? Uh never try to barbecue with uh <laughs> <laughs> this is early, early day amateur mistake. Barbecue with briquettes, just not, not awesome uh, compared to lump, lump, lump wood um, or wood. Um, you just don't get the flavor uh, that you get from from hardwood. Um, and uh, let's see, what would be the third one? Um, man. Uh, you know, I guess it's not for barbecue, but it is for cooking meat in general. Um, cause for barbecue, you definitely want to come right out of the fridge onto the, onto the, uh, onto the grill, um, or into the smoker. But for regular meat, any kind of meat, you always want to let that meat come down to room temp before you put it on the surface, a cooking surface. Um, it, the game, the, the game is completely changed. Uh, not only are you dealing with, you know, when you put a cold piece of meat on something to sear, you bring that, the temperature of that surface way down. I mean, uh, yes. way, way up, I mean, way down rather way down. So you're, you're not going to get that sear that you're looking for. If you put a cold steak on the grill, you're just not. Um, and, uh, and that was an early day thing that I learned in the restaurants you know, you want whatever surface you're cooking on to be piping hot, piping, piping, piping hot. And then once it's piping hot, you put on your fat, whatever fat you're using, and you let that fat get piping hot, unless it's butter and you don't want the butter to burn. But regardless, whatever you're cooking on, you want piping hot surface. Different for barbecue, but for meat of any kind, that is definitely a tip that, uh, you know, you learn through cooking in restaurants and working too fast. And, uh, you know, typically you're, when you're in the restaurant, you're moving quick and you're just throwing shit on the grill. And 
um, you know, you don't get that amazing sear, you know, if you don't bring it out and salt it and let it sit for a little bit. Uh, so those are a couple of tips that I would throw out there that I've learned through, throughout the years. Yeah, those are some fantastic tips. I mean, honestly, uh, like, I, I couldn't, you, you have some great tips, and it is true with the searing. Man, if you if you drop that surface temperature too much, then you're just going to, you're overcooking shit. <laughs> like, you really yeah. are. <laughs> Man, Michael, once again, I want to say thank you. If you can do me one last favor, can you tell us where we can follow your stories on social media? Yeah, you can find me at Michael Chernow everywhere. And you can check out my website, michaelchernow.com. Um, and, uh, meatball shop is at meatballers on Instagram and pretty much every other social, social channel. And, uh, and Seymour's is at Seymour's man. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for what you're doing for our industry. Um, I think, I think you're, you're an amazing chef and I I just want to say thank you for all that. Thank you, man. Uh, had a good time and I took some pointers home myself. So I appreciate it. Well, anytime you want to message me on Instagram, I'd love to chat with you more about uh, any barbecue pointers you need. Thanks, brother. Cool, dude. We are 